I'm going to invite Ty to come on up here and uh, give a little... I'm not sure all where he's going to take us tonight. He's going to acknowledge the work of the Lord in his life and maybe some of his journey, some of his Christian journey and uh, whatever all else is on his heart. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it. Can I give you a hug without sure, interference? Sure, make, make a little bit of noise in the mic. But, okay. And um, I, this guy, if I ever see him at a community event, he usually gives me a free chiropractic Manipulation. You gonna give me my free chiropractic manipulation? As long as we don't break the mic. Go for it. No, we, we, it's a frontal hug, remember? It's oh, okay, a... go for it. Did there you go. Did, did you hear, hear that? that? Did you hear did that? You hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember the first time that I met Ty, and we were at a, you may not be aware of this, but we, we were at a, they were gonna do this, um, you remember they did that service when they made that new stage down at Foster Park? Open the city? Yeah, yeah. is that what they called Open it? The, yeah. And they just built that stage at mm -hmm. Foster Park. And, you know, they dedicated that as the first event that they held at that facility was a praise to God. It was. And I was kind of claiming that as like a little sign um, that God, because I walk that park a lot because I live in that neighborhood and I pray and I claim the city from down there. So I was like, thanks, Lord. I'll just take that as a sign that you're <laughs> listening to my prayers. So, um, but I think that's the first time that I met you. Mm. And, um, you know, kind of like my kind of, my, my judgmental chip was just going haywire. You know, <laughs> it's like, here's this guy with like a beard and stuff and he's like the life and soul of the party and everything. And uh, anyways, it's been kind of neat. Uh, we got to work together for, um, first time through Revive Indiana and uh, we after Revive Indiana happened we were on a um, like this committee together mm. that was supposed to sustain and continue that work in our city and um, on that little leadership team we had a lot of really interesting discussions about how things could continue yeah. and we kind of all got to know each other it was a lot of fun and um, then also through the banquet, I've been really blessed to be on the, the banquet with Ty on a team. He asked me to be on his uh, spiritual team for a banquet, and that weekend was just tremendous. And uh, definitely getting to work, work with him um, in, in a retreat setting, just definitely the respect levels were kind of going through the roof because that's, that's who he is. He's kind of a discipleship. He just loves to share life with people, and uh, we were... Uh, definitely getting to interact pretty close quarters with about 40 other guys or so and it was a tremendous weekend and Pat was there too so glad you could be here tonight Pat so anyways without cutting into too much of your time I'll just cut you loose and thanks for doing this yes uh, thank you for having me Nikki and just want to say thank you to Pat and his beautiful bride and uh, I've known how long have we known each other Pat now two years so You'll hear a little bit about my motorcycle accident, and uh, so I don't have a great memory. <laughs> um, and then my new friend, Brandon, I've known two weeks. Yep. So we've got two weeks and two years. So that's just my heart, as Pastor Nikki said, um, discipleship, doing life with people. I mean, that's when people see the Jesus in you. Of course, we need to talk about Jesus. That is so important, but they need to see that and live that. I'd just like to say thank you to the Farmer family for leading us in worship. Can we go ahead and just give a praise offering to thanks, Lord. Um, I just received this from my wife, so uh, my apologies from my wife and my kids. They both have prior commitments. Uh, my kids are actually in their youth groups on Sunday night, and my wife has something that she's doing, but she just 
sent me this text, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read that. It says, Dear Jesus, I know that my husband is a living testimony of what you can do in a man's life. I pray right now that you would give him the clarity and discernment and that you would speak to him and that you would be able to give him exactly what he needs to trust you in this moment. I love that he is flexible and willing to change and willing to do anything that will serve you and honor you. Just remind him that all you ask of us is to show up and that you will take care of the rest. I love you. So, can't do this without the support of my family. I won't do this without the support of my family. And I've probably tried to do it and realized that I can't. So just thankful for a, a wife and children that have been um, very gracious in our time. And I'll share a little bit about that uh, in my story. And I, I just want to thank uh, your pastor and my friend, Nikki, for allowing me to speak today. It, uh, I accepted this invitation because I trust Pastor Nikki and know that he was led to ask me because of the time he spent with Jesus. I don't have time, but I made the time. I've learned to shift my priorities from my desires to what Christ desires. I'm not perfect at, at this by any means. If anyone knows me, they know that I don't sleep much. I toil for his people by the day, and I do it late into the evening as well, to whatever I need to accomplish to finish the day or start the next day after spending the time with my family in the evening. That's the part I used to cut out. I would just stay in, stay in ministry mode. So I found and learned to pause in the evening to do life with my family and then let them all go to bed, put my entire family to bed, and start it again. This brings me... Uh, a scripture, a scripture in mind that was shared this morning by your pastor Nikki in service, Psalm 127 too. In vain, you rise early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. He grants sleep to choose those he loves. My toiling for food was my will, and then I had to surrender my will to seek Christ's will of becoming a missionary. If you attended this morning's service, then... I'd like to continue with the theme of being a missionary. I am not the great-great-grandson of William Carey, just to, just to clarify that, but Christ has called me to be a missionary. When I accepted the affectionate call of Christ to be my Savior and Lord, I had no, I, no clue that I would become a missionary. I didn't know what is involved. So I'd like to back up a bit of my story, which will hopefully resonate with some of you or one of you this evening, and that you'll be able to be encouraged and leave with the hope that Christ has for you as well. I grew up at an early age with an absent father. He was a high-voltage lineman, and for work, it was very scarce. He traveled hours, he traveled for weeks, he even went to Saudi Arabia to find work. I get it. This was a lot of stress on him. My dad grew up in a neighborhood where he was the minority. He was being recruited to play college football as a defensive lineman, but blew out his knee, and that ended his career. His life took a drastic turn. His dad, my grandfather, who I did not get to know, was one of those tough tow truck drivers, and everyone knew my grandpa. My dad grew up with tough love. With no more sports in his life, he became tough too. After high school, he became a lineman, drank, chased women, got in fights. He and his buddies were the type of guys who would walk into a bar and ask the toughest guy, who are you, and let's go outside and we'll find out. There's no mistake that my dad loved me. He provided for us, told me he loved me, taught me great work ethic, made it to all my sporting events, and even got kicked out of a few. 
He drank a lot, mostly with his buddies, and I never saw that he was too crazy at home, but enough for me to say that I would never drink. He quit for a season when he got in an accident on his motorcycle. My mom also drank, but I never knew it. She was a closet drinker, sweetest woman in the planet, loved her to death. She took care of me. She took care of our family. She held us to, together. She was the glue. I came home from college, and I heard my mom crying in the bathroom, and I told our family we're going to have a family meeting. I was a big college kid now. had no clue what I was doing, but that's what was the onset of divorce in our family. Thankfully, my dad never held a grudge over me for that. My sister ended up living with my mom, and then my dad did everything he could to try and win her back, but with no luck. There was too many years of building walls of neglect and drunkenness and gambling. I tell you all that because part of my story is how I was shaped, but with Christ, those chains were broken. Nikki, is that Jesus? Oh, yeah, Rucheville. And I'm sorry about that, everyone. I left my phone on just in case you need to get a hold of me to get here. No, you're good. I just, I've had that done to me, and I've always wanted to just see if it was the Lord calling. Because I want his phone number if it is. And thank you also. I mean, honestly, for, in, that was almost an answer to my prayer of how we even started this evening. So that I wasn't walking into this perfect, well laid out. I'm like, Lord, I, I just want this to be home. And with the way that worship worked out, I mean, seriously, I just, I was like, thank you, Lord. That was just a small answer to a, a little prayer, and I love it. And then the family pulled together, and that. Okay, we'll say a prayer for the guitarist. I tell you this part of my story because this is how I was shaped. But Christ, with Christ, those chains were broken. I am now part of a ministry also called Dad Camp. And I'm also on the board. It's a ministry where dads get together with their kids, but we're intentional about this is for dads. We're pouring into the lives of dads to grow dads so that they can be the dads that God's called them to be. And we say the bonus is, is that your children get to come along with you. And so it's for you dads. There's a reason that uh, I was drawn to this. Um, I realize there's a direct correlation of how we are raised and the effect of having a father in our life or not having a father in our life has on us. Again, I love my dad, and he did his best based on what he knew to do. This is why I have such a passion for men's ministry. I got to see it in my life, and I got to see that the Lord was able to change that with those chains being broken. So now for me, my life was involved in the Catholic church growing up. My mom went to a Catholic high school and a Catholic college. So guess what? My parents dropped me off and picked me up at a Catholic church every Sunday I was an altar boy, was confirmed, I jumped through every hoop possibly known for those ages, until I realized that the cute girls went to the Methodist church. <laughs> so I made my plea to my parents to go to that church, and they couldn't argue because they didn't even go to church. These were the years leading up to high school. In high school, I played sports until I wanted a car, so I needed a job, and so I decided to only stick with basketball. That was during the winter, so I worked during the other sport seasons. I didn't drink. My sin, my distraction, was girls. I went to church to have a relationship with girls and not with God. But I learned way more about God than I recognized at the time, which is why I would never deter anyone from coming to a youth group or a church for incorrect motives. I was thinking about the sermon this morning and about building our house on a foundation of Christ 
and about how Pastor Nikki talked about the number of people in the houses we passed that don't have a foundation built on Christ. This was me. I let God on the front lawn like a solicitor and would shoo him away. I was young. It was, uh, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and they were awesome people. Like most of my summers, like the formidable years, I'd spend it with my grandparents. They were great people. My mom's parents were non-practicing Catholics, and my dad's mom and sister were Protestants. I share this because looking back, they were so influ influential in helping me to be raised around faith. I remember sitting on my grandma's porch and memorizing the Beatitudes with my aunt. I was a good kid. I held the doors, the doors and served the aging demographic. I only cussed when I was mad so my parents wouldn't hear me. Yes, I learned quickly that God heard me and knew everything that I did, and I've repented. So off to college I go. I said I would never drink because I saw what it did to our family. And I didn't drink until my 21st birthday. Then the wheels fell off the bus for the next five years. Getting into lots of fights, I racked up three DUIs. I even got two in one weekend, one in a car, one in a boat. The other happened once I left college and moved here, Indiana, where I started my job at Delphi, Delco, back in the day. <laughs> the other one that happened here in Indiana, I ended up getting out of because the police officer died in an off-duty motorcycle accident and couldn't testify against me. This is when I was going, okay, God, how does that work? My life was going well. Had a good job, had money, had a house, toys, motorcycles. Then one day, all of that came to a screeching halt. I had a near-death motorcycle accident in Noblesville, Indiana. I laid a motorcycle down doing 80 miles an hour, sped through, hit an intersection, just missed a car that was driving by. I looked down and saw blood all over my motorcycle. I remember shutting my motorcycle off and stumbling up out of the ditch, and the car that had just missed me had stopped. I don't normally share this part of the story, but I'm going to share this with you tonight. So what happened at that moment is I opened the lady's door. I got in, blood profusely running from my arms, my legs, my head, gashes in my head, gouges in my head, and I sat down, and I remember saying, can you take me to the hospital? And she said, she said sure but I'm not from around here. I said, okay, where are we? I'm still coherent enough to answer these questions, I think. This is how I remember it. And she said, we're on State Route 38. I said, perfect, that dead ends into a hospital. Couldn't be more perfect. She said, which way? And I went, oh no. So again, the Lord led us in the correct direction. She didn't want me to, she didn't want me to lose consciousness, so she kept waking and yelling at me and trying to keep me awake. And uh, the next thing I remember, at some point I must have passed out, and next thing I remember is a team of nurses come running out of the ER, open the door, and being drug out of the car. And as I look, the picture that I still see in my mind is blood-soaked seat, carpet on the floor, and the door panel. The next thing, I woke up, and as I woke up in the hospital, there was a policeman standing at the foot of my bed. So I quickly closed my eyes. I set a high rate of speed. I was going at a very high rate of speed and uh, when I had this accident. Actually, a friend and I were racing, and 
we split off because a policeman was chasing us and I went one way and that's what led to uh, me laying down on the motorcycle. So again, close my eyes really quickly and as I'm sitting there, I'm like, Lord, you allowed this. So up to this point, I wouldn't say, there was, there was a, an incident of a heaven's gates, hell's flames, as if anyone's familiar with uh, that reenactment of who Christ is, and you don't want to go to hell, so you need Jesus. I remember that. I don't know that the decision that I made in that moment, um, I know that God, looking back, as I was laying in bed last night and praying about this, as I was laying in bed last night, I know the Lord has been walking with me all this time, and as I look back, I think of all the times that he has allowed me to still be alive for a purpose. And part of that purpose is even here today. And I realize that. And so I just went, oh my goodness, Lord, I've been running and you've been, you've been chasing me. And I really believe that the Lord obviously knows everything. So he knew that I needed to be literally out of commission to stop running. I couldn't run anymore physically. <laughs> um, what had happened, I'd been dating a girl at the time. And um, this was a girl that I didn't see a future with because she didn't want to have kids. And I knew that was something that I was passionate about. I love children. And so we were dating, but not kind of dating. And so um, she went to a Christian college, came from a great Christian family. Um, she went to Taylor University. I don't know if that's good or offends anybody, but she, we actually got married there. Man, I just messed the story up. We got married. So... She came to my side. Um, this, is the, this is the woman that the Lord had for me at that time to be by my bedside. So I had so much road rash on my arms and on my legs that I couldn't do anything. I had to be fed and just imagine going to the bathroom, what needed to be done. Um, she took care of me. And I saw a change in her where I didn't see a, a caring spirit in her um, in that regard, like children and just nurture. And that totally shifted as a result of this accident. And, I mean, I'm realizing this still to this day. And uh, so thankful. So thankful for a, an accident that the Lord, again, I don't know if you want to call it an intervention because it was planned. I mean, he allowed it to happen. Again, I know that he didn't cause it. So as my wife takes care of me, she doesn't get to the part where she can debraze my wounds. She just says, no way. She tried it. I turned green. It was so painful. Her brother-in-law, who is... Um, is the person that I saw as the first example of a Christian that could be a, a cool guy. He was a retired state trooper. He was currently a um, prosecutor for Kosciuszko County at the time. Um, done all kinds of really cool things, presidential detail coverage, and I mean, just undercover motorcycle gangs and white collar crime. And, and every time he would tell me a story, you could hear the threat of Christ through it every time. And he didn't preach at me. He just told me his life story. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that was possible, to be a Christian and be cool. Because that's, that's what I'd witnessed, in, in, uh, from my view, in my vantage point. So he came down, and he loved me. He took care of my wounds, and again, continued to witness through these stories. And um, it was there, then, in, in my bed, that I knew that I couldn't run anymore. And I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, and... Uh, as soon as my wounds were well enough to be able to be baptized in the YMCA pool in Warsaw, um, that was the first thing that I did. And in everything that I do, I do all in for Jesus. And um, that's where 
I just said, okay, I'm jumping in, jumping into the pool, and I don't even know how deep it is. And to this day, I still have mentors, a friend of mine and ours, Bob Gray, uh, one, of our, one of my mentors, to this day says, Ty, you're on the high dive, and you're getting ready to jump, and you didn't even check to see if there's water. So Tika and I, my wife, have a rope around your waist just in case. And so that's, that's kind of where we're at and where I'm at. So this is when I accept Christ and I say, you know what, I'm going to start living for Jesus and I'm going to go ahead and I am going to run for all that I am. So I start living for Jesus. My dad, not a believer, not following Christ, lived a tough life. I'll never forget the day when my wife and I are sleeping in the basement and I hear him upstairs drunk yelling at his newer wife. Uh, he's, this would have been his third marriage total. Uh, my mom was uh, his second marriage. And I just said, I can't do this. Our kids, his grandkids, were sleeping in another room in the back, the back of the house. And uh, I went upstairs and crawled into his lap. And I just said, Dad, I said, this is why I'll never leave my kids here in Ohio with you. Because I can't trust you. And whenever I enter a conversation with anybody that's um, been drinking, inebriated, uh, I just pray for discernment about the length of how God wants to use me in those moments. And it wasn't a very long conversation. My wife laid underneath, <laughs> laid downstairs and said, all right, I'm praying for you. Um, he was 59 years old and uh, we're packing the car the next day and he said, I don't know what it is you got, but I want it too. Wonderful. <laughs> and so that was the onset of a journey that I didn't know where it was going to go. I invited him to go to the Kokomo Great Banquet, which has been referenced. Um, he goes through the banquet, had his phone, and he already had a breakout plan on Thursday night. He was already ready to roll and go. And uh, the Lord intercepted him um, quite quickly. And it was Saturday or Friday morning. Uh, we were doing communion. And uh, we sat down, and he took the elements, and we're sitting in the front, or a couple rows back. And uh, I looked at him. I said, what are you doing? I said, this is a believer's communion, Dad. He said, I know. That's what I'm doing. I was like, woo <laughs> At age 60, I got to see uh, my father um, accept Christ, uh, a man that I had no idea that God was that big at that point in my life. I was a new believer. Super, super, super thankful that the Lord intervened in that way. So that woman that was by my bedside, as I said, became my wife, and it wasn't easy. She has a, even though she had grown up in a Christian home with great Christian um, influences, I won't even say her parents, because she was adopted at age six by her 17-year-older sister and her husband. That was the gentleman that came by my side and, and ultimately led me uh, to the Lord. Um, it, was a, it wasn't easy. My wife, coming from a Christian background, did the biblical thing and let me lead. And I had no idea what I was doing. None. I'd do the wrong things. I'd make the wrong choices. And she'd stand by and just pray. And ultimately, the Lord formed relationships in my life, brought a man in my life that I'm still great friends with. Um, his name is Ryan Jorgensen. He was, he was my mentor. He and I attended, uh, ended up attending 
Columbia International University Seminary together. I went for a, a short stint. He finished and got his M, MDiv, his Master's of Divinity. And um, the Lord did some crazy and, and mighty things in our lives as I was a, a young Christian, not knowing what I was doing, didn't have a clue who God was. Getting into his word, growing, going to a church out in the country, in the middle of the country, small little church that had uh, maybe eight homes in it and uh, a grain elevator, so that narrows it down. Darn it. Um, but I grew, grew mightily there, uh, grew in mission trips. The Lord called um, my friend Ryan and I to go to Sri Lanka together uh, after the tsunami had hit. Had no clue. And the Lord led us into a, a family's home as we were trying to raise support. And this family, to this day, whenever we talk about generosity, um, they come to mind. And we sat down at their kitchen table, and he said, what are the needs? What are the needs? And I said, he's like, what's the biggest need you have? And I said, well, to build the home, it's going to be $5,000. He said, honey, go grab the checkbook. Okay. 50 bucks, 100 bucks. He writes a $5,000 check and hands it to me. And that was the first time that I watched the Lord in the spirit of generosity do something great and amazing. I went on that trip to Sri Lanka. And on that trip, before we even left, I said, Lord, I prayed with some friends, and I said, Lord, in spite of my disbelief, I want to see a miracle happen. I, did, I, wasn't, I didn't understand miracles. I just, I want to see somebody healed, Lord. And as we were in Sri Lanka working, we conveniently had a day off, and we went to the home of one of the workers up in the mountains. And we get there, and his father had been in, the, in a dark room in one of the bedrooms with all the windows closed uh, in the dark for three weeks. And so I asked... Um, What's going on? He's severe migraines. He, he can't come into any sort of light. And I said, well, can I go in there and pray for him in the name of Jesus? And so he went back and asked, and this family was Hindu. And um, he said, yes. And I said, in the name of Jesus? Yes. So I went in, laid hands on him, hadn't done that before, and prayed in the name of Jesus for him to be healed. We went to bed that night, woke up, and his father was sitting in the living room that morning, healed. It was amazing. Hallelujah, Jesus. And uh, they were trying to thank me, and I just kept directing it to Jesus Christ. And the impression that made um, on myself, in spite of my disbelief, was just powerful. It grew me up. And um, eventually I became an elder in this church that I was attending. I was an interim youth pastor. And this is where my, some of my church hurt started. I applied for the youth position. And as I applied for the youth position, it was just came down to myself and another one. I'd been in an interim for six months, grown to love the kids, you know, thought this was the Lord's will for my life, and came down to my guy, this guy and another guy, and they chose the other guy. Okay, this is my home church, and this is a stranger, and okay, Lord, the guy turns it down. I was like, thanks, Lord. And they said, well, we're going to start the interview process over. I was like, Wow. So then one of the treasurers of the church, I can tell you a little bit of how the structure of the church went, took me out for breakfast one time and said, you'll never be the youth pastor. You've got too much of an edge. Okay. So I said, you know what, Lord? I'm going to go through the process again. I'm not, I'm not going to quit. I believe this is where you want me. They chose the other guy, I said. And he accepted. I said, okay. And so it really stirred up some things in, in myself and in my family. Um, I've just hurt. Not malicious, 
Um, and I actually, with the students, had become so attached to me that they all said they were leaving the church. And I said, listen, guys, this isn't me. You don't follow me. You follow Jesus. I'm just here for a season, and this was my season. So my family and I had to leave the church so that the new pastor could come in and so that they could form a relationship. And uh, in that relationship, um, we needed to be absent because they would continue to come to me. And so after a season, we returned to the church, and I continued in my eldership um, with the church. And uh, the next season of church hurt came um, when we got a new pastor uh, by appointed in, in this type of denomination. Um, and things went real well. He was a guy's guy, and we got along real well. And until I grew in my faith, where I started to outgrow where we were currently being taught at, uh, the level of what Jesus wanted me to grow in. And so I started to bring up some theological things and started to grow and had questions, and, and that wasn't looked upon favorably. Um, what ended up happening was this book that's in this denomination ended up being held up higher than the Bible. I even went to the church and washed the pastor's feet and trying to come to a spot of resolve. And it was really uh, the Lord's timing as well. I had just finished interviewing with the bishop of this denomination for church planning. And so the bishop said, uh, and this was one of those times where as wives, um, I felt the full support of my wife in ministry as we sat before the bishop and a board of, of those that appoint people to to plant churches and was grilled with some of the hardest questions, but not really because that was my life. Of when's the last time you had a non-believer in your home? When's the last time you led somebody to Christ? Um, and just being able to answer those and just, wow, this is great. And then for me to just sit there and then let my wife speak about myself and on behalf of the ministry that was being done, I mean, that just took our marriage to another level as well. So what happened as I studied and I grew and didn't realize that I was um, to be part of following in the doctrine of this uh, denomination, uh, I went to the bishop and the church planning board and said, this is kind of where I'm at, this is where the Lord's convicted me, and this is where I believe I need to be, move forward, and it was the most gracious response in the world, and they were basically, we're so glad that we had you, this, the Lord had you decide now before we got too far down the road, and to this day, they still support me in as far as I have software that I can pull demographics up. I mean, it was just one of the neatest separations that I'd ever experienced. I mentioned going to seminary at Columbia International University, which is a missionary-focused um, um, seminary. And this is where I met some of the neatest people from all over the world. I drove down there, and we did intensives for weeks and met pastors from India and um, all over the world. It was it was so encouraging, and uh, I came back, and one of the things that I did was an ethnography study, and uh, an ethnography study is just finding out the demographics and the lives and the worldview of a people of a population, and I did that at Eagles Point, which is the uh, Air Force Base, um, retired, basically their, their housing unit that they transferred when the base is no longer in existence. They brought in um, people for them to be able to move in. And so I went and I just sat at the pool and I walked around the neighborhoods and I did prayer walks and I met these people and uh, fell in love with these people. Realized that God called me to these people. And so what had happened is my wife and I had our dream home here in Kokomo. Home, two-story, basement with mother-in-law mother quarters. We had a lady that lived with us from the Mennonite community that was great friends of ours and 
I gained 15 pounds in that season. Um, and the Lord calls to sell it and move to the base. Ty, you can't do ministry overseas if you can't do it in your backyard. On one of my mission trips to Brazil, we did one of those things where the pastor of the local pastor did, all right, we're going to get in a circle, we're going to pray, and if you feel led into missionaries, missionary, being an international missionary, just step in the middle of the circle. So we all pray, and then we open our eyes, and I'm standing in the middle of the circle. I said, did you guys just all move around me? I don't remember moving. And so that was something that it still is. I still, not wrestle as a struggle, but just, all right, Lord, I know that I've called into international missions. I believe it somewhere and done a ton of international mission trips and thankful to see the Lord do many amazing things and has built my faith and be able to bring back that and be able to build into my brothers and my sisters here locally. So we sold our home and moved up to the base. I met with a church that was currently, not currently meeting, they just closed. And we met at Panera Bread, told them what the vision is and the mission that God put on my heart, and they handed the keys over. Said, go for it. We'll figure it out later. So we put in the, uh, the sweat equity to turn this 18,000 square foot building into a, basically a, a mission house of outreach. And we started seeing people getting saved. We did ministry as far as movie nights and turkey drops and all the things that you build relationship with. You'd start with knocking on the door, and they'd crack the door and shut the door. This was a different demographic than what you'd anticipate in a cornfield of Indiana. This was a lot of people that move in um, from Chicago and other cities because their husbands or fathers are in prison in Miami Correctional. So it was a real transient uh, community. And uh, I'll never forget many times when I wanted to quit. And uh, probably one of the most memorable times of just wanting to we had five families running this church. We, we searched out organizations to be in and under for authority, um, accountability, and uh, none of them really worked out. As we got behind the curtain, um, it was not what I anticipated, not what I expected. And then what I've come to realize is that we're all people. And so behind the curtain, what, do we, what was I supposed to expect? It was messy there as well. And so um, I had worked through the Lord the gentleman that worked at the local gas station. Bald head, big guy, went to bring him in a turkey. What the, are you doing with that in here? Are you those people from the park that do those movies late at night and I can't sleep and da, da, da. I mean, the most strained relationship ever. And the one morning that I said, Lord, I am, I am done. Guess who walks through the door? <laughs> that guy, John. And um, so ultimately, that church planning experience was probably one of the toughest things and if you know any church planners or if you have any experience it's probably one of the toughest things that I've ever experienced that I've ever done and uh, my family went through that with me when we were selling our home here I feel safe I can share this I don't share this often either but the uh, encounters of spiritual attacks that we received being woken up being choked out in the middle of the night by the enemy Jumping and going right to the word and rebuking the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ Amen. was uh, something that the Lord needed for me to experience. Because when we got on the mission field in Peru, Peru, Indiana, um, it came at us from all angles. We lived in the church. We were accessible at all times. Our family went through some of the um, hardest times that we've ever been in. My thankful that my wife, she's an English teacher here locally at Northwestern and and has a love for writing. So she's journaled all these experiences, and someday there'll be a book out. 
and, um, and it's to share these testimonies, our story. And uh, I watched it. I'd, watch, I'd go in and pray over my kids, still do. I, I would say every night, but that's not true because I fell asleep on the couch a few times. Um, but I could see the manifestations of the enemy just in my son's room. And I would go in there at night and I would scream in the name of Jesus to be gone. And it was so powerful to see the next morning this seven-year-old son jump up out of bed and start a new day. And um, just I mentioned that just to, to remind us that the uh, enemy is real. And, and usually then... It, the enemy isn't in the room. It's above the room, is what we say. The principalities of darkness that wage war around us and about us. And uh, to share that is some of the things that God's done in, uh, in spite of the enemy's efforts to thwart what we were doing and moving forward. We merged with another church. The Lord released me from that, minist- that mission, that ministry, and I came back to Kokomo. And as I came back to Kokomo, that's where the Lord grounded us and rooted us here back in Kokomo. Um, Attended a a local church here with a good friend of mine, Chad Collins. And he just said, sit, (laughs) heal, rest. Really appreciated that for a season. And then uh, we realized that our kids were looking for something. They were in a a small private Christian school and just wanted them to experience a bigger social circle. And so we went to uh, Crossroads Community Church and uh, knew they had a great kids program and knew a lot of people that went there. And so my wife and I, we sat there for about six months and then I got an invitation to go to lunch by one of the executive pastors and uh, a friend of mine. He said, hey, I want to hear about your incarnate ministry you did at the base. And what does that look like? And how, can, how I want to do that in my neighborhood. You know, what does that look like? And I said, great, all right. We met at Country Catfish of all places. I chose. And um, I left and went back to work at Delphi and I had to call him and say, did you just offer me a job? He said, well, yes, I did. They, uh, they offered me a job to be discipleship groups pastor, director of groups. And I said, well, I'll need to pray about that. And so my wife and I, we just started praying. It took almost about two months to be able to see it all come together. And literally, my, my kids were still young at the time. And, Dad, why would you leave Delphi? You make a bunch of money there. And that was when we got to have those conversations with our children about money isn't everything. Um, satisfaction what we do and to be able to do it for the Lord full time. Oh, my goodness. I'm thinking, I'm working full-time at Delphi. We're planting a church. I mean, I'm doing everything I can. I'm barely hanging on. And uh, the Lord opened a door for us there. And I've been there five years in October now at Crossroads. And uh, as the Lord has evolved my ministry, I just returned from a retreat uh, called The Way. So it's very similar to The Great Banquet. Uh, My brother Pat was there uh, in Florida. And uh, I'm at a point in my life right now where I'm going through a lot in uh, regard to church. And uh, for Crossroads... South, which was the original crossroads there, just south of 26, we now uh, have planted a campus at the YMCA. We've been there now for over a year. And so my, my role is evolving into being the campusing pastor. So I'm there uh, with my best friend, Kevin Sprinkle. So it makes it perfect. When we, when we started praying about this and where, in downtown, north side, I said, I got the guy. He's already in ministry full-time, not really, but he worked a job full-time, and he just that's who he is, and he does life. And so this we've always talked about and prayed about how awesome it would be to do ministry together. And uh, so that came. That came all together. And so I kind of help oversee Kevin as he's doing the North Campus, and then Pastor Chris and the, uh, the elders and the executives that are at South, and it's my job to kind of keep them together. Um, and I haven't been doing a great job at it. We're all learning. We all had an idea of, what it would look like in this perfect world, 
of, oh yeah, you're just going to replicate yourself down there. Well, guess what? Down there is not the same demographic. It's not the same structure. It's not the same. It's different. And so really building a bridge is where we're at right now. And it's not been easy, but it's been great because it's caused all of us to, to get together, to pray more, to seek God more. And um, I just am so thankful that uh, I get to do things outside of Crossroads. And my supervisor, he knows what feeds me and fuels me. So he allows me to go on my adventures, he calls them, my journeys. And so the reason I mentioned the way is because of some of the struggle that I've had recently, um, just asking the Lord, am I where am I supposed to be? It's been five years. And um, I went on what I called my freedom journey. I trailered my motorcycle down there with my family. So my wife and I did this together in, in Florida, this retreat called the way. And after it was over, my wife drove the car and trailer home and I took my motorcycle up the coast um, and just got... 2,500 miles, five days worth of being able to just talk to the Lord, listen to the Lord, yell to the Lord, um, listen to some teachings, some podcasts, uh, listen to a couple books. And just the question that I asked was, Lord, am I where I'm supposed to be? And he said, you are. Stay in your lane. Wonderful. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Stay in my lane. I'm thinking, yes, I've got this narrow lane, like the width of this aisle. Perfect. For code, it's got to be 36 inches, just so you know. Um, I'll tell you that story in a second. I want to wrap this up. Um, the Lord reminded me. Actually, he didn't remind me. He showed me. He said, your lane is wide. It's like the width of the room, Ty. You're, you just see this. And I said, oh, no. Okay, Lord. So came back to Kokomo and jumped, jumped right back into ministry. And... Um, so thankful that, again, the part of those adventures, some of those things, dad camp, I'm on the board with dad camp because I believe wholeheartedly in men ministry. I have a passion for men and seeing men become the men that they've been called to be, to be the, the husbands if they're husbands, the fathers if they're fathers. If not, if they're just single men, to be the men that they've been called to be. Um, that's dad camp. The way I mentioned, the great banquet, and then something else called fight club. Has anybody heard of fight club? Yeah. So Fight Club's a, a band of brothers. It's a discipleship process of 10 weeks. Uh, Pat and I have been in it too many times. And I, uh, the Lord, five years ago, put Fight Club on my heart, and I ran into a guy named Matt Boer. I'll never forget it. At first uh, EPC, I looked at him, and the Lord said, tell him you're going to do something great with him. I said, hey, I don't know you, but I'm going to do something great with you. And uh, a year later, it was Fight Club. So he and I went and found Fight Club, saw how it existed, brought it back to Kokomo, and uh, the hundreds of men that have been through uh, Fight Club and lives changed and d discipleship that happens. And it's just been a powerful, powerful experience. And now this guy, Pat, has, I have had to, I've had to step back with this new adventure that I'm on within Crossroads of the North Campus. And um, if you have not heard, we just purchased a building downtown. And I am now the general contractor of that. I didn't know that I needed something else to do. I didn't realize my lane included being a general contractor. Um, but I just, being on the ground, the boots on the ground, I just saw that we couldn't wait another year to be able to be in the building, get it all renovated. I said, we need to be in there now. The troops are tired. Um, we, get at the, we get at the Y at 6.30 in the morning, leave at 2 o'clock. Those teams are tired. We need to be in a home where we don't need to set up every day. And so the Lord is allowing us to do that right now. So all that's to say is, if I had a dream, 
I would buy a motorhome. My, my wife would be vehemently opposed to this. We've moved 14 times, by the way, so you, my wife is a saint. Um, but I would take Revive for the evangelism piece. I'd take Fight Club for the discipleship piece. I'd take The Way for a weekend retreat experience, and then Dad Camp. I'd take these four, I call it a, a four-pronged stool. I'd take that around the, the world, and uh, I would follow what Revive is doing because I believe wholeheartedly in what Revive has done and is doing still um, with being able to take it to the streets, to be able to share the gospel, to be able to see the transformation of people in their lives of what it looks like to go before Christ and after Christ. Um, it just is what fuels me. Um, it's not about me. My will has, I've surrendered my will to Christ and now I've just asked the Lord to keep continuing to show me his will. And part of that was to be here tonight. And uh, I, I just am so thankful for Nikki. I'm thankful for each of you. Um, the enemy jumped out right on my back immediately. What do you want to share your story for? Why do you think you need to share your story? And uh, something we do uh, also is Crossroads uh, is Celebrate Recovery. It's a, a Christ-centered uh, addiction, any hurt habit or hang-up. And uh, God has just blessed us tremendously with seeing the fruit of that. Um, average 180 people a week on every Thursday night uh, that come in with hurts, habits, hang-ups, addictions, and uh, to see those men. And again, Pat, uh, one, of our, one of our go-to guys is taking care of tech for us, and it's just so neat to see what the Lord is doing in our midst. And God reminded me, you need to share your story because everybody needs to remind, be reminded of what's outside of our own four walls, what Christ is doing in us and through us, to be encouraged, to be to be part of the troops and let's go, people. Let's leave these doors and let's, who are we going to share the gospel with? Who is the Lord putting in our past? What, what discernment do we have about what is God calling us to do each and every day between Sundays, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. It's not just Pastor Nikki's job, right? right. It's all of our jobs. Yeah. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, eternal riches, my brother. Um, so I just share all that just to say thank you. Thank you because something that Celebrate Recovery, we have shirts that say, my story, his glory. And each one of us have a story. Right. And to recognize that it's him that gets the glory. When we can put those in the correct order and give him the glory for that, this is a reminder to me, and this has been a healing thing for me already. Wonderful. Um, Wonderful. As I watched the sermon from this morning, and uh, the Lord was like, yeah, you need to watch today's sermon. Okay. And sure enough, that scrapped everything that pretty much three-quarters of what I had. And, it, and, that's, that's, and that's how it is. And that's why if anybody that knows me and, you know, the guy that doesn't sleep, it's because that I believe that the Lord's calling us to do greater things. And, I mean, yes, sleep, yes. Is, sleep is only what you need. So I've been conditioned, and that's part of it. Um, don't wanna not, I don't want to take any credit away from the Lord, but... Part of my training, because I did attend, um, <clears throat> I had to pull this out, the Ohio State University. <laughs> so that's where my secular downfall started uh, when I was 21. Um, but I was in an industrial design program at, at Delco and Delphi, and uh, that uh, enabled me to stay up 24 hours a day for many weeks at a time doing projects, and that's, that's how we were based. It wasn't so much studies, it was more project-based. and So I just never stopped that, and I just, I just traded in secular for Jesus. And so now it's, 
different kinds of projects, different kinds of work. Is there any questions anybody might have? <laughs> Thanks, Pat. Anybody what, Pat? Yes. Sure, if I could go and do anything. So revive is one of them. So that's the evangelism piece. And then the way, which is a, a weekend retreat, great banquet, the way are very similar things. And dad camp, that would be building into fathers. And then the other one would be fight club, discipleship. And there is a woman's, a woman's version that also uh, my wife helped to get started um, that took place, elite forces. So that would, that would be something that uh, I would definitely be all in for, but my wife... She's been great up to now, 14 houses later, and we're not going anywhere. Even if it happens, we, had, we did live in a camper for nine months, so we've experienced that life as well. It was the uh, scripture verse for um, the, the fight, the fight was based out of? Uh, Nehemiah 4.14. After I looked things over, want to do it with me, Pat? Let's do it together. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the Romans and the people, you don't afraid. Remember the Lord is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, wives, and your daughters. Yeah. So there's uh, two versions there that Pat and I know, and we, 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 we do it in different versions, and that's why there's some confusion. And we add brothers in there um, just to remind us of the camaraderie of why we're here together, and um, that's been a, been a huge and awesome opportunity uh, for men to rally around and be part of. Thankful. Yes, Steve. The new building, it's uh, 116 North Main. So as you walk out, and I see lots of lovely friends here that are at the courthouse. Um, as you walk out of the courthouse and you look due east, we're just right across the street. It's where the lawyers uh, used to be. Yep. Hillegoss and McIntyre. And so we're, we're, I'd say, on the first floor we're trying to get in so that we have an auditorium space and kids space on the floor only. Uh, first floor only, um, and I mean literally we used to have an office right across the street and we had There's Hope on the window, and the number of stories, number of people that will walk out of the courthouse, some of my favorite stories, a, a gentleman was walking out of the courthouse, had his three-year-old in tote, I'm sitting on the bench outside, he looked up, saw There's Hope, and he said, son, we're going in here. He walked in, I looked through the window, watched Kevin Sprinkle sitting with a three-year-old on the floor and telling him about Jesus and the hope. So you'll, start, you'll see a transformation downtown. We're f trying to figure out how we can get there's hope on that building and um, have lots of opportunity for people. The doors will be open all the time. We believe that the reason that there's a building in that location, it's a walkable city, and we have lots of people that walk to church, and so that we want people to be able to come in freely at any time and all time. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. I would. There's a really nice condo in there, and I've said something about it. And again, to keep my sanity of my, my wife and my life, we're staying. So we have yes. Actually, through the Hope for the City, that same event yes. that I first met you. Yes. And of course, Duncan still is English. Yep. I think he claims to be kind of partly Scottish, but I'm not sure if I believe him. But <laughs> So I've been in that condo, and okay. he took me upstairs, and he took me to the racquetball oh. court that the lawyers had up there. Are you guys keeping the racquetball court? That is definitely uh, staying in the plans for now. So we don't have any, any plans to take down the racquetball court. So maybe we can have some racquetball and Jesus. Absolutely. Yes. What was your wife's name? Tika, T-I-C-A. And you can pray for her all that you can. 
Vance, V-A-N-C-E, and my daughter's Mackenzie. You can pray for me too. My son is 16 and driving and has his first girlfriend and she lives in Gas City and he drives 35 minutes to go and visit her. They met at church camp, wonderful girl, wonderful family. Uh, I see it as the Lord providing again yet another blessing of having a girl that isn't his girlfriend in the same school with a distraction all day. They, they coordinate and talk at night and he goes and sees her once a week maybe. So you can pray for me for that. And my daughter's 14 and in middle school and if anybody remembers anything about middle school, um, that's a way that I can say this properly. It's terrible. It's terrible. She came home last Friday because the, uh, her best friend broke up with her best friend, who's the boy, and the best friend said, guess what? You have to stop being friends with him. And she's like, no way. I'm still friends with him. And so she turned all the girls against him, and so now she's the outcast, and she came home Friday, and it was perfectly timed because Friday is the day I do try to take off. And uh, she and I were able to grab lunch and have great conversation about it. And she is her dad. She's a, she's a go-getter and uh, loves people. And she was, I mean, it hurt her. I mean, it hurt her to have people that weren't for her. So, yeah. And the boys. Yes. We have a big vision. We trust God's given us a vision to pray for all the pastors of this city. And they're one of them. So... Could we pray for you right now? I would gladly accept that. Could we get around you? That would be great. Man, let's get around. And any of the guys who want to come and lay hands on untie here. This was just tremendous. And um, I've I've been on banquet with this guy, but I've never heard his full story. I've heard little pieces and thankful for you know, we have felt for a long time, the Lord is raising up people in Kokomo, right, right. but he's also strategically over the years, and I believe he probably still is doing this, brought people to Kokomo. Mm-hmm. Did anybody notice I have a little bit of an accent going on? <laughs> <laughs> and this guy over here has a little bit of an accent going on too. And uh, All of us are from, there's very few from Kokomo. I'm from Wisconsin, he's from West Virginia. And then well, Steve is Kokomo, born and bred, and saved, <laughs> and, and Wade here, and Pat. So we have this mixture. We've got ones he's raised up in Kokomo, and ones he's brought in. And as, as we hear um, Ty's story tonight, we can't help but think, wow, I mean, he has brought you here for such a time as this. And we thank God for all these experiences that he's taken you through to prepare you. Uh, for the work that he's doing in our city right now. And we see you as, as being a, an instrumental person uh, within the Church of Kokomo. So it's our great privilege um, to, to pray for you now. And um, as we take off in prayer according to whatever discernment the Lord gives us, is there anything else that you wanted to say to guide our prayers? Oh, I think I've, I've said everything that uh, I'd ask for the Lord to just 
look over us. Yeah. Let's all just pray simultaneously. Let's all just cry out to God together for Ty and his family and this, this work of God in Kokomo. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for... Um, thank you, God, for saving Mr. Ty Rogers. Oh, God, Jesus, just pour out your Holy Spirit upon him right now in Jesus' name. Oh, God, pour out a fresh anointing upon him right now in Jesus' name. Oh, God, carry every burden in Jesus' name. Oh, God, restore virtue in Jesus' name. Oh, God, thank Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help, God. Help with uh, help with Kenzie. Help with Vance, Lord God. Oh, God. Protect them. Keep them, we pray. Oh, God. Keep them, we pray. Raise them up. Oh, God. Entice footsteps. Oh, God. Raise them up and send them into the harvest. Oh, God. Send Vance and Mackenzie into the harvest. Oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. Grant of wisdom. Grant of wisdom and favor with Crossroads North. Oh, God. Help with Crossroads. Help them at crossroads to love each other, to know how to proceed, to do all things decently and in order. Thank you, God. Amen. Jesus, I just ask right now that this fellowship receive a blessing, God, as their obedience of God, them seeing a vision, God, that is bigger than themselves. God, I, I know that the heart of this church is to be outside of these four walls, and this is a meeting place. God, I just ask that you bless them, you bless their families as they go from here. God, as they, they uh, come in contact with those, Lord, that you have divine appointments for, God, give them the wisdom and the discernment to be able to, to see those, to be a part of those. God, wherever you call them, God, allow their days to be interrupted. May that be their prayer as they wake up in the morning and before their feet hit the floor. God, may their days be interrupted with what you have in your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Appreciate it. Me too. Appreciate it.